Welcome back to another episode of Ales with Aslan, where we get together each week to both commiserate and celebrate, depending on the week you've had as a selling professional. And this week, I am so excited to have our guest, uh, John Sequera, uh, and what I would call one of the most uh, other-centered people I've ever come in contact with. Uh, John's got a great personal story. We're going to get into that. But probably more importantly, uh, how John applies being other-centered in his career, in his personal life, and, uh, and uh, just a great, great uh, story. And super happy to have you, John. Welcome to Ales with Aslan. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. That was very kind of you in that intro. Well, I, I, of course. And, and we're not that formal, so um, I just want to make sure that you're comfortable. Um, <laughs> but of course, John, as you, uh, an avid listener of the show, realize we start with something uh, cold, frosty, and refreshing every yes. week with Aslan. So I'll invite you to tell us what it is you're drinking this fine Friday afternoon. Absolutely. So uh, I, uh, I am based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and so I, I picked a North Carolina brew. Uh, there, there are lots to choose from, but Asheville, North Carolina in the mountains uh, is, is notable for a ton of breweries, and uh, they have a uh, Highland Gaelic Ale out of Asheville. And uh, it's delightful. It's not super hoppy. I have a lot of people that are in the beer world. They love the hops, the extra mega IPAs. That's not me. This is, this is closer to, uh, it's an amber, sweet, caramel, uh, cold, but, but hearty. So uh, Highland Gaelic is, is one of my go-tos. That, is, that sounds quite ridiculously good. Um, it's delightful. Um... <laughs> it's delightful. It's almost like a dessert. That you can oh. keep eating or keep drinking for sure. Excellent, excellent. Well, I myself have cracked uh, something from, uh, I believe it's from Nashville, Tennessee, where I've I've been spending a little time with my daughter who's in school down there. This is called Ever Clever, which I just love okay. that. Uh, it's yeah. it's a, it's from Bearded Iris Brewery. It's a double dry hopped IPA. So. Um, I'm not usually the hoppiest of hoppers, but um, yeah. I'm happy with the taste of this. It's got an eight and a half percent ABV too, so I need to be exceptionally careful with what uh, the rest of this uh, half hour. <laughs> That's right. It's the good thing is it's Friday, so it, uh, you can you can do that and get the get the hops and the floral notes and all the things that I hear all my buddies talk about that I know nothing about, but it sounds like it sounds good. Well, sounds in like a year from now, we'll be all experts on this. I'm sure. Right? Yeah, I bet. And okay. probably be sponsored by uh, Ever Clever or somebody else. I would Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Well, John, thanks again for joining. And, and I think maybe, maybe the best place to start is just a little introduction of yourself and, and sort of the background you bring, you know, to those of us that sell for a living. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, uh, I started my sales career in, I would argue, one of the – one of the best places to start because it's one of the most difficult roles. Uh, I started selling telecommunications uh, to businesses um, in in Manhattan in the early 2000s, and so uh, my uh, my territory was any business who had phone service and internet service in uh, in, in in the borough of Manhattan, uh, and the role was you know just picking up the phone, trying to get appointments, you get into the appointment and, and you figure out what the best way is to, to move that, uh, that, that client from where they were to, to, to our platform. And so that's what I, that's what I did. Yeah. And, uh, and met, uh, 
it's funny. Uh, you know, that's, that was my first real sales job out of school. And, uh, while I was at that sales job, uh, I ended up meeting the CEO of Aslan, Tom Stanfill. Mm. And so I moved, uh, you know, very, I don't know, very quickly, but from a heavy prospecting in the telecom space to, uh, you know, meeting Tom, uh, I actually had a buddy of mine who worked for Aslan at the time, right out of school. And, uh, they had a, a client in New York. So they both came up from, from Atlanta and my buddy asked if I wanted to go out to dinner with him and his boss. And at first I was like, no, I, w- I don't want to hang out with you and your boss. Uh, <laughs> but Tom, as we all know, uh, is amazing, broke the mold of what bosses were, what owners of companies were. And we hit it off just uh, getting a sense of his story and how he started the company. And he was picking my brain on my role uh, selling for uh, for a telecom company and what I did. And, and we really connected on just the outbound hunter role and, and what was hard about it, what we loved about it, where you had successes and failures. And uh, that night, actually, he he had uh, asked, well, well, gosh, would you do you think you'd ever consider potentially working for Aslan and, and doing some outbound work and, and lead generation for us? And, and at the time, I said, you know, maybe, but uh, but I live in New York. It was the center of the world and I loved it. And, and getting me out of there would have taken uh, a lot. And so I said, hey, thanks. Maybe in the future. And we had a great night and, and hung out and then we, we parted ways. Uh, and, uh, oddly enough, that was, uh, gosh, that was the Thursday before September 11th, uh, and the terrorist attacks in, in Manhattan and, and DC. And, uh, my office happened to be in the world trade center. So I was on the 81st floor of tower one. And so, uh, that was a, uh, that was certainly the jarring large event that, uh, that if anything was going to get me out of New York, it was that. And so. Uh, wow. After 9/11, I uh, kind of looked into, looked, called Tom up and, and said, "Hey, maybe it's maybe it's time for us to, to potentially work together." And so, within a year or so, I was in Atlanta working for Aslan. So that was well, and I and I don't want to glance over uh, the 9/11 uh, piece because I think all of us were touched by someone or something that that took place that day. In fact. I still live with the curse of that being my birthday, which is, uh, it's, it's never a, it's never oh, wow. a celebratory day wow. for me anymore. We, when I was at APC, we lost a very good, good friend of ours uh, who was in one of the planes. And um, mm-hmm. yet I know you actually have a kind of a, a relatively happy story that came out of 9-11. In fact, I know you wrote a book and appeared on Oprah. And, and I'd like to just tell the audience a little bit about this. This is where I come up with this concept of John Sequera is one of the most other centered people that I know. Um, take us through just if you don't mind that those moments right after the plane hit and you know what you ran into in the hallway as you were trying to leave the 68th floor uh, and get to safety. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is interesting uh, in, in, in how you know, meeting Tom and being exposed to Aslan mere, gosh, you know, four or five days before that event, uh, it really, really came together as far as what Aslan stands for and what ended up happening that day. Uh, so uh, I, was, I was in the office on the 81st floor and, and uh, the, our building was in Tower One. And so that was the first building to get hit. And uh, and shortly after uh, our building was hit, uh, we all evacuated our floor 
and there was fire and, and destruction all around. And, and uh, we headed down the stairwell. And from the 81st floor to about the 67th floor, it was, it was pretty open. Uh, and uh, and we, we got to the 67th floor and, and heard people who were trying to figure out the best way to evacuate and, and trying to figure out where the stairwells were. And so my boss at the time and I moved back up from the 67th floor to the 68th floor to try to guide people out. And we, we ran across an office where, uh, where, where there were office workers really not moving much. And uh, we realized that the reason they weren't moving was uh, because one of their coworkers uh, was a wheelchair user. And, uh, and, and she, was, she was using a, a very heavy uh, mechanical wheelchair and they, they couldn't figure out how to get her out of there. And so uh, my boss and I uh, asked if we could help and they accepted. And so we, we helped this woman from her wheelchair into an emergency wheelchair and headed back down the, the remaining 67 flights of stairs. And, uh, and so that, that took about an hour uh, and uh, in that hour, the other plane hit the other building and uh, and collapsed. And we were fortunate enough to escape our building five minutes before it collapsed. And uh, we were able to to get the woman into an ambulance that that evacuated the area. And uh, and and we all really walked away virtually unscathed. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I've heard the story, obviously, but just an incredible story of sort of overcoming, you know, we talk about overcoming obstacles, uh, sometimes on Ales with Aslan. And this is sort of a somber uh, reminder that um, in the face of, you know, complete collapse, literal complete collapse of a building, you were able to take a positive and save a life and, um, and kind of forever change a couple people's paths. And I think that's, that's uh, that's incredible to to know. I know you wrote a book. I think you call it Hero Sandwich. I think you appeared on Oprah. What what are some of the lessons? Because you and I have talked about the lessons you can learn that you can apply to your sales life from that period of your life, specifically when you had the book and you were on Oprah. I know there's a fun story you want to tell about that. Yeah, sure. So so I think there's there's some good that came out of that, and and again, it's it's. Uh, fortuitous, I guess, that, that I'd met Tom and was exposed to Aslan right before uh, 9-11 and then ultimately ended up working for Aslan. But one of the big things that came out of that event for me that, that is super applicable, not just to sales, but, but overall in life, is uh, you know, when, when I recount that story or when people hear about the story uh, there's this there's this idea that man you know John you were it was great for you and your boss to be there helping that woman and, and the reality is uh, our our focus on somebody else uh, is what I believe was was the only thing keeping us sane and calm and and ultimately from a you know a spiritual perspective I think just giving us some grace and 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 protected us and and just from a practical perspective, uh, you know, when you're confined into a stairwell and you, you really don't have any way out than, than a direction that's completely congested and there's not much else you can do, uh, all you really can do is just try to keep yourself sane, right? Some, uh, you know, one of the elements of doing that is, is focusing on someone other than yourself. And so I would argue that our interaction with that woman was as beneficial for us for me as it was for her. 
And and so when we look at, uh, you know, when I translate that to what we teach at Aslan and what we apply in work and in life, you know, there's this saying that we that we use that that we are most fulfilled when we serve others. We're most fulfilled when we suppress our self-centered motive and serve someone else. And and you know, I think there's a, a tendency to say, well, if we serve other people, particularly in sales we're likely to get something back from it. And, and while I think that is somewhat true, the, the reality is just the act of serving, the act of forgetting what you get out of an interaction and, and putting yourself, forgetting yourself and, and giving yourself to someone else is in and of itself uh, fulfilling. And, and yeah. so that's what, I, that's what I experienced that day. And that's what, you know, I, I apply in in my role at Aslan. It is it it, it is uh, an effort because we're always wired to focus on ourselves, but it is an effort to rewire our self-centered motive to someone else. But once we do, what ends up happening is the interaction with a new prospect or in looking for opportunities to serve a client that may be more profitable for us. Uh, that effort to focus on someone else and just their win uh, gives you a, a sense of freedom, a sense of uh, latitude to use your natural gifts to just, you know, be a better person and make a connection. And, and yeah, guess what? It oftentimes results in an improved relationship that drives revenue and drives profitability. But the path getting there is oftentimes as fulfilling as whatever the financial rewards are towards the end. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how I apply it in work and, and in life, the same thing, the more you give yourself to your wife, to your kids, to your friends, and just serve people with no expectation of a return, uh, you start building those relationships and you just, you, you get the, the muscle memory of just using your natural gifts because we're, we can advocate for someone else much more, uh, much more intensely than we can for ourselves. And so when we can be that intense about somebody else's benefit, uh, we're actually kind of stretching our, our uh, skill set and, and muscles. And, and that's, that's fulfilling in and of itself. Well, and I can imagine that all those listening, whether sales leaders or sales reps, um, can think of times where they, they kind of put their own agenda. We like to jokingly call it commission breath is sort of transparent. It kind of comes yeah. out. If you're totally focused on yourself, people sense that, right? I mean, I think the analogy of the used car salesman comes through when you step on that lot and you just feel like this guy doesn't care about me. He just wants to sell a car today, you know? And when you, For sure. yeah, when you put yourself out there to really help someone else achieve what they're trying to achieve and recognize that you might not always be able to do that, now you start to focus on someone else and, uh, you know, I think your odds of success go dramatically up. And I, I know that's a lot of what we teach and what you, you know, work with clients every day to try to uncover. Uh, one more piece before we move on to a couple tips and tools and, and so on and so forth. The, the um, you know, a piece of our curriculum, we always talk about advance and you, you need mm -hmm. to move. Um, to the next logical, the next most logical step in a sell cycle whenever you have a meeting. And I know you have a regret <laughs> from a potential <laughs> failure when you met Oprah. There was a, there was a story there about uh, your potential to publicize the book that you may have missed. Why don't you tell that story for the audience? 
For sure. And I, I bring this up when I'm training. And uh, it's funny, I know Tom has, has mentioned this uh, a few times in blogs and, and uh, you know, but uh, yeah, so so after 9-11, there was obviously a lot of uh, you know, media attention on, on a lot of the stories. And my boss and I were, were invited on Oprah, uh, which was you know, certainly the the most notable, I guess, media appearance that I've ever been a part of. And, uh, and so we were on Oprah and it was a wonderful time and Oprah was, was super gracious. Uh, but uh, you know, as I was going on Oprah, again, I was 22 years old, just graduated from school. And when my friends heard that I was going on Oprah, they said, Oh man, you should write a book and you should be in Oprah's book club and you'll be rich and it'll be great. And you know, at the time I was still reeling from the event and I wasn't a writer and, and I wasn't going to do that. And so I went on the uh, on the show. It was wonderful, and uh, and then we left. And so years later, I, I ended up uh, I moved away from New York, and then ended up moving back to New York. And I ended up writing a book with a friend of mine, and we were looking at ways to publicize the book. And uh, we had this novel idea to let's try to get back in touch with Oprah. This was probably five years afterwards. Uh, you know. I'll let you guess how successful I was getting back in touch with Oprah five years later. And, and here's a spoiler alert. Uh, I'm not doing this podcast from my yacht in the BVI's. So uh, the, the answer is, the answer is I was, I was wildly unsuccessful. And so, you know, we, I, I draw this, this analogy or this, I tell a story to highlight the idea that we'll, we'll teach towards, a lot of the end of our training around the concept of advance that hey around the exit principle that we're you know our chances of reconnecting with our decision maker once the interaction is over diminishes is diminished greatly if we've not set some next step while we're there and so how i might have changed that is while i was on the oprah show and while we're in commercial breaks and we're just having small talk uh, it might have been in my best interest to say, hey, Oprah, I'm thinking about writing a book. I don't really know how to do it, what the process is, but I've heard you know some people. And if and when I decide to do that, is it, you know, is it possible that we might be able to reconnect? And, and hey, maybe there's someone you know right now that might be able to help me do that. Uh, if I would have done that while I was the, the focus of one of the most powerful media personalities in the world for at least 30 minutes, I would likely have been a lot more successful uh, getting back in touch and, and maintaining that relationship. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess that is, that is a regret, uh, but it is, uh, you know, it, it certainly makes for an entertaining story and, uh, and it helps me wrap up a lot of training sessions. So, Hey, there's some, there's some good that came out of it, I guess. Well, and I think, you know, we, we all make these mistakes and that one, certainly no one got hurt in that mistake, but it was a missed opportunity. Let's just call it that. Right. And, and everybody listening to this podcast goes through those experiences. So if we can help anybody to just think through really what is another, you use the term muscle memory. It's just another habit to build, right? You never end an engagement with an individual or a customer without sort of setting in, not a stressful line in the sand sort of next step, but just what's the next most logical next step, which may be closing the sale or maybe something much less, um, you know, strategic. It could be 
you know, I'm going to send you this piece of collateral, this proposal, and then I'm going to call you on, you know, next Friday, how is 1030? At least it's in their calendar and your likelihood to reconnect and make that next step actually uh, work out is it goes up dramatically, right? So I think Absolutely. Tremendous lesson from, from you. And thank you for sharing all that. I know we are running short on time and I have so many more things uh, that I'd like to delve into um, with you. So maybe what we could do, John, is have you back for, uh, you know, another week, maybe not next week, but sometime in the future to talk about probably two or three other ideas I have. So maybe I'll just tease those up and, and uh, maybe if you have any quick last minute thoughts for, for reps, but as professional sellers, we all, you know, we all get good at certain things. And I know you're an expert on, on, you know, discovery and really getting customers to open up. And so I'd love to, to have you come back and talk about how do we make uh, discovery more conversational and less sort of like a, I don't know, interrogation, right? And, sure. and so I know you're good at that. And I'd love to have you back to talk about that. I know you and I are delving deep into testing new ways to to get a hold of customers, whether it's use of video in some sort of email platform or whether it's, you know, trying different ways to kind of pique their interest, uh, as we call it, you know, activate that part of their brain that filters out all that other stuff and how do we kind of cut through that noise. So I would love to talk about that and then and any other tips and tools that, that might make sense uh, for those. So if you're okay with it, why don't we, um, why don't we sort of uh, have you come back for another meeting to dive deeper into some of those concepts. Does that make sense? That sounds great. I would love to. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank uh, John Sequera, author of uh, Hero Sandwich, a true story about 9-11, the lessons he learned with, uh, with not uh, you know, asking Oprah for help when he met her face-to-face and maybe not <laughs> closing that advance. Certainly a great lesson for all of us. But I think the key takeaway, John, uh, from our conversation that I, that I take away is is uh, serving others. That's when we're most fulfilled. That's when we get this freedom. It's probably what kept you alive uh, in, in, the, in the, uh, the terrible circumstances of 9-11 because you focused on another person um, and, and that kept you sane through that process. I really believe that as sellers, uh, by focusing on other people, our, our, our potential for success goes up dramatically. So thanks so much for all that sharing and all that personal uh, information. Uh, gang, we'll get back together a week from now for another episode of Ales with Aslan and have a great weekend.